I was almost made late for church today because my son Jim called. I was think I didn't have time to call him uh, because of the fires out in Los Angeles. Some of you have heard about, but he called me and he said the smoke was so thick that he wondered if they should have services. And the minister, Mr. Uh, Daryl Lovelady, was on the way down to Palm Springs. And uh, he didn't answer his cell phone, so Jim wasn't sure what to do. Well, I told him to try at least once more to call Mr. Lovelady. But otherwise, if the smoke getting thicker and thicker, well, he should cancel the services, have our phone hook up, because the, the, the fire is very, very bad out there, right where we have services. Some of you have heard, I read the other day, in the paper that the fire was uh, just above the hills in Lockenyata Flint Ridge, and that's where I lived for a number of years back in the 50s and again in the 80s. And a very beautiful area, but right up next to the mountains. And our our church is right down the hill from where the fires are. And Jim's house is just about a mile from where the fire is, but he thought it would be all right. I certainly hope so. So it is a dangerous area. And Things are happening all over the world, as I think you know. Prophecy is certainly marching on. Iran still is not willing to come clean about their atomic energy project and their bomb that they're creating, which nearly everyone knows. And so it's getting closer and closer, as many top authorities state, to the time when Israel will have to take them out or at least try to slow down their development of the bomb. And that's going to set off an inferno as President Mubarak of Egypt said, an inferno throughout the Middle East when that happens. China's wealth and power is increasing a very great deal, and in the meantime, ours is going down. They have over $2.1 billion, I mean trillion dollars, <laughs> in resources in China. And America, of course, is the world's greatest debtor. So these lines are going to cross out there as we keep having more and more trouble and these other nations get more wealthy. We've prophesied that for years. We did not know exactly how it would work out. But it, we have said that we will go down and these pagan nations will come up and God will break the pride of our power. Most of you read probably in the newspapers just a couple of days ago where even the Congressional Budget Office is projecting that over the next year, uh, 10 years, America's debt will grow by 10 uh, uh, nine, I mean, trillion dollars, trillion with a T. That's a number we never heard of. We never heard about trillion dollar deficits or budget fall shortfalls until just the last year or year and a half. You younger people may not realize that that term was never used. And now all of a sudden we've jumped from billions to trillions and a trillion is 1,000 to billion. So we're talking about awful things that we're getting into and debts that our grandchildren and great-grandchildren will never be able to pay off. Meanwhile, as a lot of you have heard from some of these talk shows on the radio and Glenn Beck on television, and he had even uh, Rush Limbaugh on a couple nights ago, they are warning increasingly and even have the admission from top authorities that our government is developing a civilian army. And they're talking about a developing a civilian army that is just as big and powerful as the regular army. And as some of these people are saying, what is the army for? What is that army for? Well, of course, it's going to be used against those who disagree with the government. And whenever anything like that comes along, it leads to a dictatorship. 
So these things are beginning to happen right under our nose, and I think we need to recognize that, brethren. We really do. We're going, we're headed for trouble such as this nation has never seen. And again, I don't think you young people can fully grasp that. We have never had that before in the United States. But it's happening right under our noses. If someone objects too much, and they're already objecting and getting rather vociferous at some of these town hall meetings around the country, as you know, against this health plan that's going to put us even more in debt and a lot of the other government programs, then they're going to call it civil unrest, and they could call in the National Guard, and they can call in the special army that will be loyalist to the administration, and it can be a very dangerous thing. I won't go beyond that because we don't want to get into politics. God is in charge, and we need to pray to God to guide our rulers. We need to pray to God to protect us. They're going to come down on us eventually, and they're going to try to take away our right to speak and to tell the truth. They've already done that to a certain extent because we cannot really come right out fully in television anymore and talk about the homosexual movement and the abortions and all those things, they're going to try to shut down anyone who speaks out against the horrible things that are happening. And God calls these things an abomination. But they don't like to hear that. So this civilian army could be brought in. And frankly, at some point, if the civil unrest gets too bad, and we have food riots, water riots, perhaps even race riots, all that kind of thing, brethren... The beast power, the European Union, which will morph into a, a beast power over in Europe, would have even more excuse to come in and to help quell the unrest and save us from ourselves. Do you see what I mean? That could be their excuse to come in here and take over. I'm not saying it will happen. I'm just saying we need to watch and pray. Christ commands us to watch and pray. And brethren, some of you don't watch world news very much or know what's going on. I find that most of our young people practically never look at a newspaper. They just get little bits and pieces off the Internet, and the Internet doesn't even begin to start to commence to cover a lot of these things unless you just look and look and sit there all the time. And, of course, television news, whenever I turn on most of the television news, it's just talking about American political stuff. So I'll switch and have my our, our channel switch to BBC News and suddenly you'll be seeing about things in Tanganyika and South Africa and Afghanistan and the Middle East and all over the world, literally, and they'll give a little bit of news, although even they are very, very liberal. And so they'll try to cover it. Their editorial slant will be liberal, but at least they'll tell you what's going on outside the United States political stuff. But we are often ignorant of what is happening all around us, and I hope we can wake up because massive changes are taking place, brethren, and massive changes, many more changes will take place, not in, in, in 10 to 30 years, but in the next 5 to 10 years or less. So I'm not talking about way off. Even five years seems a long time to some of you young people. I understand that, but it goes by pretty fast. And some of it's happening right now. So I predict that even three years, just mark this, I think that even within three years, we're going to see a greatly changed nation. I don't mean that Christ will come within three years. Frankly, he won't. Why do I dare say he won't come? You know, Billy Graham says Christ may come tonight, or on the other hand, mean he may not come for a thousand years from tonight. I've heard him say that two or three times in his program, and it's right in his written column, which I have in my file. I think Monica, Monica has it there, the Billy Graham column, my answer. 
he doesn't understand at all. No, Christ will not come tonight, and he will not come a thousand years from tonight. He will probably come sometime in the next uh, whatever. Better not guess too much, but, you know, 10 or 25 years. Hopefully a little less than that. He easily could come a little less than even 10 years the way things are going, but we have to watch and pray. So these things are happening, and we're commanded to watch and pray. Because, brethren, many people in God's church have fallen away through all kinds of stuff. Many fall away just because of their own lusts and their vanities. They get weak. They stop studying and praying their own lethargy, and they just drop away. Others leave the church because of hurt feelings over some minor thing or another. They don't prove to themselves where God is working and how important it is to stay where God is working. They don't get it. And yet there is a great tribulation coming. There will be a church which will be taken to a place of safety. I could speak rather openly about this in a certain sense because I may not be here. I think I will. I'm not going to announce my imminent death. I, I think God may give me another 10 or 15 years. Many people have lived way on after having a stroke or two. But, you know, as all of you know, I could die at age 79 and having had a stroke and perhaps another small stroke that seemed to be a stroke. And so Mr. Ames might have to decide or Dr. Allen might have to decide. But I'll tell you, somewhere on this earth there is a church and it may be the whole council of elders will be alerted. But probably one man will make the decision. And I used to say for years... And my wife knows this. I think she's heard me say it. And I know I said it over and over in front of my older children and, and so on. If that man, and I met Mr. Herbert Armstrong, whom I felt was an apostle, not perfect, but in that type of office guiding a whole era of the church and God used him. I said, if that man says it's time to go, I am going to go as long as he's still teaching the truth and doing the work. Not that I thought he was perfect. You've heard me explain that. He was not perfect. And I could go on for the next hour, and I'm not exaggerating, saying, well, a little false. He made a mistake here, and he made a mistake there, and so on and so forth. I know that better than any of you in this room. But he was still God's apostle. And a man in that office is guided by God in a special way. And I was willing. I said, maybe, maybe it wouldn't be. People say, well, what if you come back all embarrassed? I'd rather come back all embarrassed than not go at all and have my wife and children and myself herded into a concentration camp and be tortured. You see what I mean? You better find where is God working and which church is going to be taken to a place of safety. What church is really being used by God Almighty and directly ruled by God Almighty? And whether I'm here or not, that happens to be the church where you're sitting right now. So I hope you can think about those things very much. But many are going to fall away from this church and from other churches of God. They'll fall away from the truth. I want to ask you this afternoon, what is your breaking point? I gave a sermon on that years ago. This is a different one. What is your breaking point? What will it take to shake you out of the living church of God? What will it take, brethren, to shake you out of the church that's doing God's work? You need to ask yourself that question and really think about it because your very life literally depends on that. Turn with me, if you would, to First Peter, the first epistle of Peter, chapter 1. And beginning in verse 3, Peter writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us, and they translate that correctly here, begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This living hope. He says in verse 6, In this you greatly rejoice, that is that living hope, though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials. Yes, various trials came on the early church. James had his head chopped off. Stephen, a very young man, obviously, was stoned to death. What a horrible thing. Apparently thousands of Christians, because there were myriads of them, it says in Acts 21, so many thousands were run out of Jerusalem. They lost their homes. They lost their jobs. Everything. Did they give up and quit? Some of them probably did. I told you, brethren, how I used to feel that the college in Brickett Wood was more spiritual and better because in Pasadena we had more of the liberal teachers in there during the 70s. And Big Sandy had more fun and games, it seemed like. They were out on the lake and things were a little bit more loose over there in that way, although not necessarily spiritual, I came to realize later. But when Brickett Wood closed down in June 1974, I thought all these people were really strong over there because that was sort of Mr. Armstrong's favorite college at that point. He spent his time there more and preached to them and taught some classes where he practically never did that in Pasadena and had not done for years in Pasadena or Big Sandy. And they seemed to be more conservative and loyal because they were more conservative. Of course, the British were that way. What happened? About two-thirds or three-fourths of the entire faculty and staff left. No job? No church. Think about it. No job, no church. Did the Sabbath still come every seventh day? Yes. Did they observe the Sabbath every day? Every seventh day. A lot of them just dropped away from that too. No job, no church. It's so easy for people to leave when there seemed to be a trial. The college is closing down. My little world has come to an end. Their little world wasn't God's world. It was just their little world with their job and their circle of friends and so on. You have to think about that. What's it going to take you out to shake you out of God's church? You've been grieved by various trials that the genuineness of your faith, do you really trust in God Almighty? The genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. Brethren, gold has to be tested by fire. And you, each one of you in this room and each one of you brethren out there in Perth, Australia and Brisbane and Johannesburg, Cape Town and New York and Los Angeles, each one of you around the world are going to be tested by fire. God does that to his people. I'm going to be tested by fire. All of us are going to be tested by fire. Being much more precious than gold that perishes, your faith is, Though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God wants your faith to be proved and to be tested, to be absolutely sure. Turn over to chapter 4 now, First Peter chapter 4, and beginning in verse 12. Beloved, do not think it strange. Don't think it's weird. How could this possibly happen concerning the fiery trial? It's not always going to be some easy trial. The fiery trial, which is to, to, to come to try you as though some strange thing happened to you, 
Well, you know, brethren, God says over and over in the New Testament. And Jesus said, your enemies shall be those of your own household. And Jesus said, father will be against son and son against father and mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and so on. You know how he said those things. He said, you shall be hated by all nations, all nations for my name's sake. Over and over, Jesus warned us about that. That's not some strange thing. That happened to every generation of Christians. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may be glad with exceeding joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ because you've hung in there and you've tried to be faithful to Almighty God, blessed are you. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or someone messing with other people's business. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment. Judgment is to begin where? Right here at the house of God. And if it begins first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Now, if the righteous one is scarcely saved... You say, well, if I just come to church once in a while and have a good attitude, well, I don't know question. I'll just be saved. No, it doesn't say that. If the righteous one is scarcely saved, you don't want to walk along the edge of the cliff, brethren, for your good, not my good, for your good. Get back from the edge of the cliff. Get right in the center of where Jesus Christ is working. Get right in the center of where the work of God is being done. Get right in the center of the true church that has all the fruits of the true church of God, not perfectly, because there's no perfect church on earth, but has them more than anywhere else. And put your faith and trust not in the church per se, but in Jesus Christ, the living head of the church, and unless the, fru unless the fruits change. As I said, if Mr. Armstrong quits preaching the truth, if Mr. Armstrong turns away from God's law or something, then I would not follow him. Why? That'd be terrible, no. He said, don't follow me. You follow me as I follow Christ. And that's what Mr. Ames and I ask you. You don't follow us. You follow us as we follow Christ. You say, well, you're not following Christ perfectly. No, Mr. Armstrong didn't follow Christ perfectly either. And most of you know that. He was very human. But he didn't teach wrong things or go out you know, committing adultery and getting drunk and stealing and all that kind of thing. He didn't do really bad things. It's just that he wasn't perfect. He made little mistakes, which we all do, and I do, every day of my life. Talk to my wife someday. As I say, she's going to write that, that famous book, The Plain Truth About Roderick Meredith. <laughs> It'll be exciting. <laughs> anyway, the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with that first, anyway, it shows that righteous is scarcely saved. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. So you want to commit your life to God. Brethren, you've got to have that attitude. I might remind you of a terrible... We've been ha had terrible times in the work of God in the past. Back in 1974, why one minister rose up and he took with it 30 other ministers of 3,000 brethren, maybe up, mainly up and down the East Coast here, took them away. Great, big, awful split. 
And I'd been deputy chancellor at Brickett Wood, and I was back for just a deputy chancellor exchange trip for one week, and I had to stay on for over a month. And my wife finally had to go back because our kids were back in uh, back in England. And I had to stay there alone. And while I wasn't alone, I was with Mr. Burt McNair, my brother-in-law at the time, and had been very nice to me. But I had to make calls day and night and work and work and work and try to hold things together. Because they were saying, well, one of our ministers had some very severe personal problems. And it was it was bad. It wasn't good. It was bad. I knew that. But I knew that King David had had some serious personal problems and God forgave him and used him and he talked about as a man after God's own heart. And the work was still being done. Here's the point. I thought about it at that time. I tell you, before God I did, I learned to think of these things I'm going to give to you. I thought, where is the work being done? Where is the full truth being preached more than anywhere else? And who's doing that? Mr. Armstrong was doing that and the work was doing that and that's where I chose to stay and those who left, what happened to them? Most of them went off and disappeared. They've never been heard from again. They just sort of disappeared or they're in some little tiny group arguing over little tiny picky points and they are not even remotely starting to begin to commence to do the work of God and they won't either. They won't. So I stayed where the work was. And you've got to learn to think those things through. No, I'm not perfect. I made lots of mistakes, but I did do that at least. And I'm grateful that I did. Then 1978 came along, and one young minister had to be kicked out. Well, he wasn't young, but he made some mistakes. Finally had to be kicked clear out of his high-ranking job and took some other ministers and elders, three or four evangelists with him, and caused a split and raised up another church. Again, why did those people leave? Because Mr. Herbert Armstrong was a sinner and doing something bad? No. They just followed the personality. And where do they end up? Nowhere. Nowhere. They're not doing the work of God. They're not able to. They left. And they weren't used by God again at all. Most of them just disappeared. Then 1979 came along. And the state of California came in on us. And they had armed guards in the Hall of Administration. And Mr. Wayne Powell was a sort of a temporary hero at that time because he blocked them out of the executive suite. I mean, they could have shot him. He just slammed the door in their face. He could tell you the story. I don't remember the details, but he did it. And they, wow. And he, he didn't let them in until finally those over him said, no, go ahead and let them in because we had nothing to hide. But they, we, were, we were up against the whole state of California. And they were accusing Mr. Armstrong and Mr. Rader of stealing millions of dollars. Well, I knew they weren't stealing millions of dollars because I had known Mr. Armstrong so well. But even then, when I was brought back to my old job for several months to help hold things together, I did ask the business manager at the time, who I knew fairly well, to look into another guy that was there and see if he was stealing money. And he told me no. He said, Ted asked me to do the same thing and I'll do it again. But he says, this guy is too smart. He's too smart to just steal money that way. He doesn't need to and he hasn't. And he promised he'd look into it again. No, no one was stealing money or anything like that at all. Well, the state of California had this huge investigation that lasted for over a year and we were completely acquitted and shown there was no great financial malfeasance, no one. But I had ministers calling in, but the dozens, because I was put back in my old job over the whole ministry, this time the whole world, 
And I really had people calling in day and night. I fainted twice during that period of time because the previous guy had an unlisted number. I didn't have an unlisted number. They could call me from all over, and I took calls day and night and just wore myself out trying to hold the church together for Mr. Armstrong and and the work's sake. And we did. It worked out. But some ministers called. There was a Richard guy called, and he began to cuss me. He was using dams and hells and you so and so and so and so and he went on about Mr. Armstrong and this other guy just cussing. I said, look, you can't do that. Oh, I'm going to do that. Well, no, you can't talk about Mr. Armstrong that way or I'll have to terminate you. Well, you go ahead. I said, no, look, you come in and we'll pay your way and you can talk to us. We'll explain the whole thing. And I was really patient with him as I look back, very patient. No way. And he cussed me some more. Okay, I'm going to have to terminate you as a minister of Jesus Christ because you can't cuss and yell and put down God's apostle that way. But if you will come to yourself in the next 24 hours, I won't execute this. I won't tell others or make it official. He said, you go ahead and do it right now. I don't care. And he cussed me again. So I did. (laughs) I took him at his word and kicked him out. I had to kick out a whole bunch of people. I didn't want to. They were furious. They were upset and mad. Why were they mad? Well, they felt that Mr. Armstrong had brought in a guy that they didn't like and that might have done some bad things, and they were just upset. They got all bent out of shape. What was happening during those years? I don't need to explain to you, but I was one of the three or four inside men in the whole work of God at that time. Garner Ted was already gone. And there were just three or four of us, literally, running things. And I was rated number two by a lot of people. I was actually number three. And as I found out, and I realized anyway, I was warned by Mr. Carl Manair at one point. He said, well, they're going to get you. And I said, I know they probably will, but I want to help Mr. Armstrong anyway. But Mr. Armstrong wasn't doing anything bad. He was preaching the truth and doing the work the best he could. And they got all bent out of shape. Well, what happened to all those ministers and people that left? What happened to them? What's the fruit of their doing? Did they raise up a church and do a big work? No. They just came apart, and most of them had disappeared into the mists of time. They're gone. No work, no fruit, no nothing, because they rebelled against the man that was doing the work of Almighty God on this earth today. And they were not rewarded for that by God in any way whatsoever. But brethren, you have to understand the trials and tests we're going to have. Were some mistakes made by Mr. Armstrong during those times? Of course they were. But they were not mistakes of murder or adultery or stealing. There were just some wrong appointments and some odd stuff. And he didn't understand. He was an older man than I am when that happened. And people were taking advantage of that. And I knew that. So we had to look beyond him. And if I make mistakes, what do you do? You better look beyond me to Jesus Christ. You better look beyond me to Jesus Christ. And if Mr. Ames has to take over sometime, will he be perfect? Sorry about this, Dick. No, he won't. (laughs) He won't be perfect either. You'll have to look beyond him to Jesus Christ. You've got to have the big picture, brethren. Or you can leave the church, you get get your feelings hurt, you can say, they're making a mistake. 
Well, of course they made mistakes back in 1972 and 1974 and 1976 and 1978 and 1979. And, and every year since the church began, I'm sure we made some mistakes. Nobody's ever been perfect except Jesus Christ. Was Mr. Armstrong perfect? No. Was anyone else perfect? No. But did the people have a real excuse to leave? No. They should not have left. And they did not and were not rewarded by God, nor will they be. So you have to think things through. So why not leave when you see something you don't like or you find some decision being made that you disagree with? Maybe some of you will be fired or we'll run out of money and we'll have to cut back. I had to cut back a, a, a lot of people in the ministry a, a couple, three times. I was told to make a cut of 20%, you know, fire, terminate, whatever you want to do, 20% of your ministry in order to save the budget. I was given that order that was given by the business manager, but backed up by Mr. Herbert Armstrong. And so I terminated some people that were good people. They weren't all bad. We would not have terminated them otherwise. But those things can happen. Do you leave then? The college closes, so you leave. You lose your job in the ministry, so you leave. You lose your job in some department, so you leave. No, you do not do that. Why? Because there are certain fundamental issues involved that you have got to prove to yourself and you better learn to base your life on those issues. And I'm going to discuss those a little bit now. Think about it. Write some of these points down if you're taking notes. It might help you the rest of your life. Understand them. Live by them in that sense. First, once you truly prove God... And certainly you've got to prove there is a real personal God and that this book, the Bible, is His inspired Word. You need to prove those things. And I don't have five hours to go into all of that. We do that every now and then. And we've got booklets. Then you'd better prove where God's church is. The Bible talks about the church of God. It calls the church in the New Testament the church of God at Corinth, the church of the living God, the churches, the churches of God the church, all these statements, 12 times it gives the name. So you better prove where God's church is. And of course, again, I don't have time to prove all that here, but you want to prove where God's church is. And of course, that is a very important thing. The true church has the right name. God names things what they are. It's not the church of England. It's not the Methodist church named after John Wesley's methodical way of doing things. It's not the uh, Baptist church named after one doctrine. It's not the Seventh-day Adventist church named after two doctrines. You know, Seventh-day and the Advent or return to Christ. It is called, in your Bible, the church of God. But throughout the Bible, God gives a sign of His true people. And that sign is the Sabbath. And then He enlarges that in Exodus 13 and back in Ezekiel chapter 20 and elsewhere. He says, My Sabbaths you shall keep. It is a sign. It's the weekly Sabbath and the annual Sabbaths because the Seventh-day Church of God has the weekly Sabbath, but they've never done a real work in our time. They're called spiritually dead. You read about them in, in, uh, back in uh, Revelation chapter or 3, verses 1 to 6. They do not keep God's annual Sabbaths and they do not therefore understand God's plan at all. So the true church will have the right name and will keep God's weekly Sabbaths and annual Sabbaths as well. And then, of course, it will teach the full truth. 
And again, we don't have time. You better prove all that. But all the basic things. Do we teach everything perfectly? No. But somewhere on this earth, there is a church that teaches more of those things by far. And is much closer than any other church. Back in Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, verse 27. Paul was talking to the elders at Ephesus. He says, For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. And my brethren, that's what I have tried to do, as you know, to try to declare to you the whole counsel of God. And we have 29 booklets. And we had a magnificent Bible study course written by Mr. John O'Gwen. I myself am going back and reviewing that because it's so helpful I read it, and I even helped edit it a little bit, not much, but saw the lessons and made a couple of suggestions when it was being written. But Mr. Gwen wrote about 95 or 99 percent more like it. Did a magnificent job. Very, very helpful. I recommend that to you. If you read all our booklets and the correspondence course, you'll get a real education in theology right there, frankly. And we'll soon have 30 booklets. Someone will no doubt write one more. <laughs> and we better bring it up to at least 30. Hey, I'd have it to be 29. I have not shared and shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. And brethren, we are trying to do that, as you know, the whole way of God in every way we can. And so the church that has that more thoroughly is God's church. You need to think about which church is closest to God. Which church is closer to the center of Christ's will today in our generation and teaches the full truth? Secondly, key number two as to the, where you should look, the true church really does the work. It doesn't just talk about it. There are other churches that talk about it, but they don't really do it. One church talks about all kinds of intellectual things, and they think that's the work. But that's not the work. They may reach a few British intellectuals, but they're not reaching the, the people as a whole. When John the Baptist's disciples came to Jesus, he said to see if he was the Messiah, he said, go tell John the gospel, you know, the deaf hear and the blind see and so on. And the gospel is preached to the poor, not to the British intellectuals. <laughs> it's preached to the poor people. And we're trying to reach the whole world, everybody. There's another church that does some work, but then they, they devote virtually not one cent to commercial television, and, uh, or very, very little, practically none, until recently. And it shows where their heart is. They are not out there preaching to the whole world at all. So we are doing that more thoroughly than any others. And there are one or two others that have some uh, a program or do something, but then they sometimes are dictators and yell at people and threaten them and put them down and other kinds of things, which we don't do. I will yell at you a little bit in this sermon, by the way, to wake you up. <laughs> I do want to do that, but not to correct you or frighten you. I don't think I frighten you too much anymore. You know, back during my uh, first three or four, well, eight or 12 years of teaching in Ambassador College, I noticed some of the young, you know, macho freshman boys coming in. <clears throat> some of them were bigger than me, and, and they were kind of macho. And I was their freshman Bible teacher, and some of them were big, tough guys. And I could sense they were kind of thinking, well, you're just kind of skinny, four-eyed guy. Who are you? And so I would tell them about being a boxing champion, and uh, they would, well, I don't know. I'd better watch out for him. And that worked pretty good. But after I got up past 60, that doesn't seem to work so good anymore. <laughs> so anyway, I don't want to frighten any of you. <clears throat> 
but anyway, this church does the work. Matthew twenty four fourteen. Matthew twenty four fourteen. Jesus said, "This gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom, the coming government of God, shall be preached to all the nations, and then the end will come." That's what we're doing. We're not trying to convert the whole world, but we're preaching it as a witness to the entire world. And we're doing it every way we possibly can, as you know, and working hard to do that. So that's another thing. You'd better find out where is the church that is called the Church of God? Where is the Church of God that, in addition, has the Sabbaths and the Holy Days? And secondly, uh, where is the church that has, uh, well, the whole counsel of God? And then also that teaches and and, uh, is doing the work of God. Then another point. The true church teaches and practices the government of God. Some people in these other groups that don't do that, I think they feel guilty. They vote, but they like to use the term balloting. I think they're ashamed to say they vote because they know how Mr. Armstrong said, God's people don't vote. (laughs) He said it so much, so they have to use a different name for the same thing. But that doesn't change what they're doing. But it is important. Brethren, it really is important. But we're in training right now, you and me, to be kings and priests in what? In a Sunday school class? No! We're training to be kings and priests over this whole earth under Jesus Christ to administer the government of God. And we will be kings over cities, kings over states or provinces or whatever they're called at that time, kings over nations, under Christ, of course, And under the other leaders, Christ puts over us. So we want to realize that if we don't even practice the government, if we don't teach it and don't don't even practice it, how can we possibly think that we're preparing to fulfill our calling? That's silly. So you need to have and find a church that has the name of God and the Sabbaths and the holy days. And secondly, a church that really does the work And thirdly, a church that really teaches and practices the government of God to where it is by appointment and by the fruits of a man and then trusting to Christ to back it up. And that is absolutely vital. Mr. Armstrong said, again, a lot of you don't know him and might not mean that much, but God did use him more than any man to preach the truth for hundreds of years. No man has preached with such power and such effect around the world. For hundreds of years. And God did use him. And he said the whole thing is government. And that's just the way he'd say it too. The whole, he'd hold the word. The whole thing is government. Because in a way it is. In another way, the whole thing is faith. You know, Paul said, above all things have faith. There in that, what, Ephesians 6. And then then he also said, there remain three things. Faith, hope, and love. The greatest is love. So the whole thing is love. It depends, of course, on what you're talking about. But in one point of view of looking at it, the whole thing is about government. Because true government is surrendering to God and letting God rule your life. And this is love that we keep His commandments. 1 John 5 and verse 3. You see how it all ties in together. So He said that, and that is true. It's a very, very important thing. We're the only church on earth that has that kind of government. Two or three others have a dictatorship, as some of you know, and I don't want to say too much and just pick on people, but that's what it amounts to. 
if you cross the leader, he'll just kick you out. And that's happened again and again. And some of you are here because of that. That dictator has just said your marriage is no good and you leave your husband. And so maybe in one or two cases, the man is right here with us. Or they'll kick people out because they have been willing to have uh, eat a meal with their own children, you know, who are not in that group. They're in some other Church of God group. So if you do that, that's terrible. That would be terrible if I had a meal with my children who were not in our church, wouldn't it? You see how it is? They'll just kick you right out. And there are two or three groups who are just dictatorships. That's not the government of God. That's a terrible thing. That's an abuse of the government. But what we have in this church is a human being, me, very imperfect. Why am I here? Because I just had more training and I've had more experience than anyone else. And God may take me out because I'm 79 and had a stroke. And that's up to God. My life is in God's hands. But if I die tomorrow, I still want you to understand this. Then Mr. Ames will take over because he'd had more experience than most of you. He's had more training, more experience, produced more fruit. And because of that, he can be the best overall balanced and submissive and humble, wise leader in the church of God. But he and I are working with who? Just our buddies? No, we're working with a council of elders. Most of the council of elders have never been my social buddies. Probably most of them never will be. Am I against them? No, I like them. I love them. But I'm not around them very much. Some of them never got to get to know very well. I thank God regularly for Mr. Bruce Tyler down in Australia. And I was telling our some of my group here in our lunch how, how loyal he is. Here's a man way off at the other end of the earth. And I never got to know him at all. He graduated from Brickett Wood. And during a time I was not there, even as a visitor, he never knew me. He found where the work was and came with us just a year or two after we began, way back, and brought with us many people in Australia. I thank God for that. We put him on the Council of Elders because he is very dedicated. He's a graduate of the college in Brickett Wood. He's very uh, humble. He's very wise, and God is using him powerfully. That's why he's there, but he's not my buddy. And if he hears this, I don't want him to feel bad, but he knows what I mean. I told him recently, even in a phone call, I said, Bruce, I wish we could just spend more time together, but how can I do that? He's way down there, and I'm here. The same thing with Mr. Gerald Weston was never around me a whole lot personally, just to get do all kinds of social things together. And others, without me naming everyone in the council, I don't want to make them all mad at me, <laughs> but uh, I, I, I haven't had the chance to be their buddy, and they know that, most of them. I tried to see the fruits. Who is truly dedicated to the truth of God, the work of God, the way of God, and who is filled with and led by God's Spirit and put those men on the council? And because nobody's perfect, we are rotating. We have three men who've rotated off who are wonderful men, but we've rotated some other equally wonderful men on to kind of spread it around because most of our older men are very dedicated. These are the survivors, brethren. Most of you know that. I've told you that before. They're the ones who survived all these things I told you about back in the 70s. These are the men who survived the other problems in the 80s. These are the men that that carried on the work and tell the truth even after Mr. Armstrong died were willing to hang on when it was not popular to do so and they are here and you should respect them 
And Mr. Ames and Dr. Manila and I listen to them. We try to get their input and their wisdom and their advice and ask God to guide them and us. So we're practicing the government of God, God's way. Not perfectly, but we're doing it overall better than anywhere else on the earth. I'm positive. And I think most of you know that if you've been around very much. Fourthly, here's a fun, another fundamental thing you have to consider. Would you leave and where would you go? What would you do? You'd better prove where is the church again that has the name, the true Sabbath, the holy days, and the whole truth. Number two, that is really doing the work of God. Number three, that is practicing the government of God properly, not perfectly, but properly. And number four, the church that has the fruits of the Holy Spirit. I'm adding that. That's tricky because some people can misinterpret that if they have someone that's loving or kind or charismatic. There's this young man off in, uh, I think, in San Antonio, uh, you know, Joel Osteen. I think I can pick on him. Don't want to uh, give Tom a heart attack here. But he's a nice young man. He has this sort of Prince Valley and hairdo, and he talks about God will bless you and very the power of positive thinking. He talks about that. Well, people can say, boy, he has the fruits of the Spirit because he's so friendly and nice and so on. Well, you've got to figure that out. Is that the fruits of the Spirit? Lots of cigarette salesmen have that same personality. <laughs> Lots of used car salesmen have that same personality. That, that That's not necessarily the fruits of the Spirit. But the true church should have the fruits of the Spirit. So let's go to Galatians, if you would, chapter 5. And you need to understand that from God's point of view, let the Bible interpret the Bible on that. Galatians, Galatians chapter 5, if you would. And I'm going to go back a little bit in some verses to pick up some story flow. <clears throat> Verse 14, Galatians five fourteen, For all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this... You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Do you do that? No. None of you do it perfectly. <laughs> and do I do that? No. But we try. And we should try. And the church should exemplify that as a whole way of life. That we're working on that. We're growing in that. But if you bite and devour one another, <clears throat> you're constantly picking at each other, trying to catch someone in a mistake... Beware, lest you be consumed by one another. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. So walk in the Spirit. Don't just talk about it. Walk that way. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. And that's true. <laughs> I don't do the things that I wish sometimes. I'll do something I'll say later. Why did I say that? Or why did I do that? You know, the human nature just pops out every now and then like a jack-in-the-box. You push the button and whoop, 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 whoop. You know, <laughs> and you think, here's, here's my human nature. I thought it was gone. No, it's not gone. So you re repent on the spot, hopefully, and you grow in grace and in knowledge. But you don't always do the things that you wish. But if you wish to do the right thing, God's way, and you pray about it, study about it, meditate about it, fast about it, and try to exercise God's Spirit, you will do it more and more and more 
and you will grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law, you see. If you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the penalty of God's law. But if you're led... Excuse me. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, which are... Here are the fleshly things that people get into. Adultery. A lot of the world doesn't think that's a problem. But God says it is. If a man cheats on his wife or a woman, her husband, that's one of the big ten. That is awful. It really is. It's not some laughing thing. It's a horrible thing in God's sight because you're showing a treasonous attitude. If you will betray your own mate, how could God trust you and his government to live forever and be loyal to him? Well, he can't. He just can't unless you repent, really repent. As the sermonette says, what is real repentance? Fornication. God lifts fornication right in with adultery. People that mess around with sex, even though they're unmarried, they're breaking the spirit of adultery. Uncleanness. All kinds of people, you know, uh, like Bill Clinton said, does is mean is and and, uh, you know, yes, oral sex is sex. And sometimes heavy petting and all kinds of other things. Drunkenness and drug addiction and all those things are, are filthy. They are wrong. Lewdness, idolatry. Many of our men in the church, not many, but I met, I met a few. And all over we read in the Christianity Today magazine how many hundreds of ministers in the other churches are porn- and, into pornography. They're an addict. They want to see pictures of naked women over and over again. Their mind just feasts on that. Why? Because they have really filthy minds and they have not really repented and they have not got right down and thought very profoundly with God's Spirit guiding them. God made everyone a male or female and half the whole earth is female and all females have a human body. So what's the big deal? And uh, it, it, it's nice when you're young to think so-and-so is pretty, but if you just dwell on that and dwell on that and dwell on that, it shows how empty you are. Anyway, idolatry, and of course money can be idolatry, your job, your position, your money, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, all this self-will and madness, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, causing division in God's church, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, and revelries, wild parties, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit, what? The kingdom of God. They won't be there. Can they repent? Of course they can. But unless they really repent and mean and start growing clear away from that, they won't be there. God can't have people that are absorbed in that as part of His very kingdom, His government ruling this earth. But the fruit of the Spirit, and brethren, here we get to the part of the fruit of the Spirit, the results, the results of God's Holy Spirit in your life and my life. The fruit of the Spirit is love. What is love? Love is not just having a good personality and being friendly. Some people are very natural. I mean, Bob Hope, I love, used to love to hear Bob Hope Sunday night, you know, and Jack Benny, the old comedians, and they just exuded good cheer and all that. But that's not the kind of love he's talking about. It's spiritual love. This is the love of God that we keep His commandments. And if you keep His commandments to love your neighbors yourself, you will have a certain degree of warmth and good cheer, but you may not have the natural 
a bouncy personality that someone else who would be a better beer, beer salesman than you might have by nature, if you see what I mean. But you will have a genuine worship and adoration and love for your Creator, and you will have love and kindness and an outflowing concern, an outflowing concern for your fellow man based on the Bible. That kind of love, that's the most important thing there is. That kind of love. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. You will have a degree of joy where inside you'll be happy. Here I'm sitting here in a kind of a prison. You know, I get up and about fall off the stage because if I step down too quickly, I'll fall over. But I still am joyful. I'm not as joyful as I, I perhaps should be. I've always been more of an intense person. But nevertheless, I have a great deal of joy and I can start laughing. And my wife will hear me laughing at the political cartoons in the Wall Street Journal or other times. And I'm very grateful inside for God's calling and God's mercy. Peace. You have peace. You're not all tormented. I want my way and all, I'm all upset at the church and and Mr. So-and-so gave a sermon and maybe corrected me or my department had something I don't like and I'm all bugged about it. Or my boss who's outside or whatever it is bothers you. My wife or husband are not perfect. Of course they're not perfect, but you have to have peace. Peace of mind knowing that you're God's servant and he'll guide you and be with you. Long-suffering. Long-suffering is the fruit of God's Spirit. So many people in the church in time past say, well, Mr. Armstrong made this mistake. I'm out of here. He built $24 million counting interest on this building. How could he do that? I'm out of here. One man used to be in a prominent position and he would conduct some meetings and sometimes he was really praising Mr. Armstrong and Ted and then other times he would really put them down. And my friend David John Hill, again, most of you don't know him, but some of you older brethren do know him. And uh, he was a tremendous personality. So he came in with his famous coffee cup, all good cheer. And we started the meeting one morning. And he says, well, Joe, the guy's name wasn't Joe. I don't want to pick on the real guy. But he said, uh, he said, Joe, what's it going to be today? Are we for him or against him? And the guy went like, he was caught with his pants down, so to speak, because he saw Mr. Hill. Some days he was for him and other days he was against him. And he, he, he would kind of virtually wring his hands and yell, why can Mr. Armstrong spend all this money on these salt shakers from, from Herod's department store? And there are widows out there. Well, there will always be widows out there, but he bought some art objects that were to entertain important people in his house. Would I have bought those same art objects? Maybe sometimes, but maybe not as much as Mr. Armstrong did. But as Ted said, when he was still very loyal to his father in the work, he said, if God had wanted to call a very small-minded man who was worrying about every little thing, he would never have called my dad. He knew who my dad was when he called him. My dad thought big and he did things big. And once in a while, he did things bigger than you and I would agree with. I don't think God lost any sleep over Mr. Armstrong's salt shakers. <laughs> Do you? <laughs> I don't think the creator of heaven and earth, who said all the silver is mine and all the gold is mine, were worried, was worried about that. But, you know, I'm just showing you, people get all bent out of shape. They don't have long suffering. If you're going to stay in God's church, my brethren... And you brethren around the world hearing this, learn to develop long-suffering. Don't get bent out of shape over every little thing you don't agree with. Kindness. 
Have loving kindness to one another. That's so important. Goodness, faithfulness, have faith. Faith in God and faith in Christ. Gentleness. You want to be harsh and mean to others. Some of these dictators do that. We don't need that. Self-control. That is put last but far from least. Boy, that's important. Learn to control yourself. One of the biggest lessons of life is to learn self-discipline. Learn to get up. Learn to get going. Learn to put first things first and do what needs to be done. If you can just learn those things, that will help you so much in your Christian life. Self-control, of course, with the help of God's Spirit. Against such there is no law. So these are the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. They put to death this old self. If we live in the Spirit, let's walk in the Spirit. Let's try to exercise those, those fruits day by day and year by year. Let us not be conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So in the true church of God, we have got to work on this and develop all the fruits of the Spirit. It is that we don't have them. We do have them, I think, more than the other churches. But we're not perfect. And we need to keep growing and keep growing and keep growing right up to the end of our lives. God's true church will have all those things. And we must try to grow in that. But some of the dictatorships are very strict about God's law. And they're very strict about following Mr. Armstrong. And if you don't follow Mr. Armstrong just exactly the way they think that you ought to... And frankly, as Mr. Aparting can tell you, who was a dear friend of Mr. Armstrong's, and as I knew him even longer, six more years, and spent thousands of hours with him, Mr. Armstrong would not approve of what they're doing at all. Some of them are so enamored that they worship Mr. Armstrong, yet most of them did not even spend one hour with Mr. Armstrong personally, just one-on-one in their whole lives. They don't really know him. They just try to worship what they think Mr. Armstrong was like. And he was not like that at all trying to catch people and kick them out at the slightest excuse. So you better look around and be sure where God is really working in a right, balanced, and loving way. But people drop out of the church for all kinds of reasons. What is your breaking point? Sometimes they'll pick on little things of doctrine or judgment in the church. Years ago, and I'm talking about 1954, 55, there was a young man named uh, Herb and a young man named Jerry. And uh, they were all upset. Herb was a teacher and Jerry was a senior student. And they were all emotional and they worked together. And they found that Mr. Armstrong paraphrased whole sections out of Judah's uh, Scepter and Joseph's Birthright, that old booklet, a book I mean, about the United States and prophecy. And A. Allen, I think, or something wrote this book. And they look at this, look at this. And some of the references in the old, I mean the old from the 1940s, United States and Prophecy booklet, that was the name then, no, Britain wasn't included because we didn't even have it work in Britain yet. And they found that he, the references in there, Hosea 5, 7 and Isaiah 14, 13 or something like that, they didn't even match or didn't. And, and, and I went to Mr. Armstrong about it because they were spreading this through some of the students and getting all mad themselves and very self-righteous about it. 
He says, oh, my rod. He says, you know, I'm like a one-armed paper hanger. He said, I had to preach all the sermons, write all the booklets, do everything. And I did paraphrase. He didn't copy every word, but he paraphrased some of that stuff. And he just assumed that it, it was there. And technically, some of it was not really a correct reference. So I got his okay to meet over in the small dining room, the private dining room of Hewlett C. Merritt. No, this had to be 1956 or 7 then. And because we bought that in the summer of 56, but in his, uh, at his home, which you know now, you older brethren, it's Ambassador Hall. You've seen the pictures. You go up these steps and trees on each side. At the right at the top was what became one of our main classroom buildings, Ambassador Hall. Hewlett C. Merritt, one of the wealthiest men in the country for a while, that was his home. Anyway, we decided to meet over there. And so Herman Hay and I worked on this, and, and we went through the booklet, and there was Herb and Jerry. And so we agreed to make all these changes we took and let Herman and me work it out and, and we did all this. So what happened? Were they all repentant and glad? No, they left anyway. <laughs> they simply wanted an excuse to leave. You see, you look on people's heart. You know, they, they wanted an excuse to leave. And, and, of course, Mr. Armstrong didn't mean e- evil by it at all. Uh, he was trying to get the work going way back alone and didn't have anyone call his attention to that. And uh, he was not directly copying, but he was paraphrasing and using material there. Uh, so they made that a great big spiritual sin. What happened to them? I, I asked that question even two or three years after they left because I don't know. It's like they fell off the edge of the earth. <laughs> I, I don't know if they found another group. I don't think there was any other group. They just disappeared. I guess they're still alive somewhere. I don't know. But you see what I mean. Did God bless what they were doing? Did he use them? No, they're gone. Then later we had a guy named John and another guy, Carl, local elders. And they were all upset at some of the ways we were keeping the Feast of Tabernacles. And they thought we ought to have a different way of having the services. And we ought to have palm trees. God says, go on and cut leaves of palms at the feast. And and Mr. Armstrong thought we didn't need to put palm branches on a ship and bring them over to, to Big Sandy, you know what I mean, and stuff like that. And they got all bugged, and we, we went around, and so they left. They left because we didn't do all that. And we went into it with them biblically in each case, but they found some reason. Then we've had various people in divorce and remarriage situations through the years. And I had to devote entire Sunday afternoons because I was the director of the ministry for... 12 years altogether, and I would say dozens of Sunday afternoons, maybe scores, hundreds of hours, where I should have been having fun or out with my family, but I'd sit there and have Mr. Pertoon or Hill or others over to join me, so I always had at least three of us going over these divorce and remarriage write-ups, and we'd try to see what's God's will on this and God's will on that, and go through it very carefully for Mr. Armstrong. Well, people don't always agree with every decision that is made. What about that? If they don't agree, they'll leave. Some have upsets about about uh, also uh, uh, how you count the feasts. Every few years, someone pops up and says, we need to keep the feast of Passover on the 15th rather than the 14th. And they'll argue and argue, and if we don't go along with them, they will leave. Or they'll say we ought to keep Pentecost and Sivan 6 rather than uh, counting Pentecost. And God does not put it on a certain date. And, of course, you know, just real quick, I'm not preaching on that. But, you know, you go back here to uh, 1 Corinthians 
uh, 11 on that first thing about Passover. Why do we keep Passover at a different time from the Jews? Are we wrong? The Jews should know when their Passover is, shouldn't they? No, they got off track and they twisted everything around and they even gave up the knowledge of their own Messiah of all things. They got off on a lot of things. And this just happens to be one of many things they got off on. But anyway, back in 1 Corinthians 11, he says, Paul writing, 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 23, For I received from the Lord, Paul was taught directly by Jesus Christ, that which I has delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, get this, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, And then it tells how he administered the Passover service on the night in which he was betrayed. And you read all the Gospels, and what do they say? The night Christ was betrayed was the night before the Jews kept their Passover. And Paul says clearly here, that is the time that Christ kept the Passover, on the night in which he was betrayed. Christians are those who follow Christ. We follow Christ and what he said. But you see what I mean. People get, well, there's this argument and this technical argument. Well, we've had lots of other arguments and more scriptures than that, but I'm just saying that's one of the basic ones to prove those people are wrong, wrong, wrong. So what's the answer to these things? Well, here's the answer, and you need to understand this, my brethren. It's very important back here in Deuteronomy, giving you some biblical principles here to think about. Deuteronomy chapter 16. He said in verse 18, You shall appoint judges and officers in all your gates, which God gives you, and they shall judge the people with just judgment. You shall not pervert justice, nor take show partiality, or take a bribe, for a bribe blinds. You shall follow what is altogether just, that you may live and inherit the land which God gives you. So God told them to do that. And he had judges set up in ancient Israel, which was the type of the church. Chapter 17, Deuteronomy 17, verse 8. If a matter arises which is too hard for you to judge, that is in a local area, between the degrees of guilt for bloodshed, between one judgment or another, or between one punishment or another, matters of controversy within your gates, within the local community, then you shall rise and go to the place where the eternal your God chooses. Now, where is that place today? Well, you've got to figure it out. Are we perfect? Do I have any hail around my head? No. Mr. Ames doesn't. Mr. Uh, uh, Winnale doesn't, and so forth. But here are the ones God is using to lead the work of God, and so on. You shall go to that place... And you shall come to the priests, the Levites, the spiritual leaders, and to the judge there in those days and inquire of them. And they shall pronounce upon you the sentence of judgment. You shall do according to the sentence which they pronounce upon you in that place which the eternal chooses. And you shall be careful to do according to all that they order you, according to the sentence of the law in which they instruct you, according to the judgment which they tell you, you shall do. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left from the sentence which they pronounce upon you. Now the man who acts presumptuously says, I don't care what you judge. I'm going to do what I want to do. You see, this is a carnal mind. 
and will not heed the priest who stands to minister there before the eternal your God or the judge that man shall die. And God pronounced the death sentence back then. Now, we don't have anything like that today and we're not threatening anything like that today at all. But that's the mind of God as he guided his servants in the Old Testament. There was to be deep respect for God's government that he would guide his judges and so on. And now turn, if you would, brethren, to Second uh, Chronicles. This is Second Chronicles here. And it's talking about this righteous king of Judah, Jehoshaphat. Second Chronicles chapter 19, verse 4. So Jehoshaphat dwelt at Jerusalem, and he went out again among the people from Beersheba to the mountains of Ephraim and brought them back to the Lord God of their fathers. He was gathering them back to the way of God. If you read the whole story here for two or three chapters. And so it says then, in verse 5, he set judges in the land throughout all the fortified cities of Judah, city by city, and said to the judges, and God Almighty put this in his book, the Bible, Take heed what you are doing, for you do not judge for man, but for the Eternal who is with you in the judgment. God was to be with those Old Testament judges. How much more would He be with His leading ministers today in the very church of God led by God's Holy Spirit? Think about it. Think about it, brethren. Then there are many, many other scriptures on this as far as a matter of church government, but just one more. I wish I had time to, I could maybe have a whole sermon on this. might be good. But the next one I want to turn to is in uh, Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, and here it's talking about the observance of the holy days and the Sabbaths. It showed how Christ was resurrected and overcame the principalities and powers, showed he was very God for Satan was able to sneak into Judas and get him killed, but he was resurrected. So let no one judge you in food or drink, or some commentaries say it can be translated eating or drinking, or regarding a festival, you see, one of the annual holy days, or a new moon, or Sabbaths, the weekly Sabbaths. Don't let anyone or man judge you, which are a a shadow of things to come. These holy days picture God's plan. The weekly Sabbaths picture the coming millennial reign of Christ. The seventh day pictures the 7,000-year period. They're a shadow of things to come. So don't let any man judge you or about how you keep the holy days, about eating and drinking and how you observe the holy days. But the substance is of Christ, a total mistranslation, This Greek word here is S-O-M-A. Go look it up in Strong's. Go look it up in any interlinear. And the Greek word here is S-O-M, as in Mary, A. It's soma. It means body or corpse. In fact, the same word exactly is used in the same uh, book right here. It talks about Jesus Christ is before all things. And this is Colossians 1, verse 18. Colossians 1, verse 18. And he, Christ, is the head of the body. Not the substance, but the soma. S-O-M-A. The church. 
Always this was used in that context as the church of God. Don't let any man judge you as to how you're to keep the Passover or the holy days or your eating and drinking and how you observe these things, whether we're to bring palm branches over from Israel in our modern times. But the church of God, the body of Christ, as the whole First Corinthians 12 shows us, First Corinthians 12 is the church of God. The church of God is to make those decisions and the leading ministers in the church of God. And it's a big, broad thing. Then we have the entire council of elders. And you can talk to Mr. Ames and Mr. Apartheid and Mr. Winnale and others of us. Yes, we do. We have the whole council of elders brought in on those things. And we thought, we pray. Sometimes we even pray and fast ahead of time. It's a major thing. And ask God's wisdom and ask God to guide us. We don't have a big axe to grind I'm nearing the end of my life one way or the other. I'd better do it the right way. You know what I mean? I can't afford to mess around. I'm going to do it according to what this book says. And I know Mr. Ames feels the same way. So you better have faith that Christ will guide the judges. He will be with you in the judgment, God said in his word, as we just saw back in uh, Chronicles. So we have to look to Christ, the living head of the church, and recognize that the church has authority to make decisions like that, and that should be respected. Brethren, as I've said before, you can also drop out through personal lust, through sex problems, drinking too much, lethargy, laziness, not studying and praying, just generally getting a bad, that bad attitude, or you can get your feelings hurt and get bitter, a root of bitterness. I preached on that a few weeks ago. You must not let anything like that take you out. But sometimes people say, well, the church isn't perfect here, or they made this decision I disagree with, and then they use that as a vehicle to leave. Don't do that. Have faith in Christ. Turn with me now to Ephesians. Turn with me now to Ephesians now, chapter 1. Ephesians 1, verse 19, he's talking about the exceeding greatness of God's power to us who believe according to the work of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenlies, Christ at the very right hand of God, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, every authority, every office, every title, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him, Christ, to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body. Somewhere there is that true church which is really under the authority of Christ and doing things God's way, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And then over in chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, Paul writes. Did Paul ever have problems? Yes. He didn't have a stroke, but about the last five years of his life was in prison. (laughs) So he had a different kind of imprisonment. I, the prisoner, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which you were called with all lowliness and gentleness. And brethren, if you're lowly in your own mind, you'll be willing to listen. You'll be willing to wait. You'll have a long suffering. You won't make some quick decision emotionally. I'm out of here. I just disagree with the ministers before I even hear them. You won't be that way. Bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That unity is very precious. 
God saw a great, powerful, wonderful, charismatic personality come along. Boy, was he beautiful. Boy, did he have personality. Boy, did he have mind power and brilliance. His name was named Lucifer. And he took one-third of the angels with him. God's not going to mess around next time. He's going to make sure we are humble, we are surrendered to the government of God, and we really want the right kind of unity. There is one body, one spirit, just as you're called, and one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all, through all, and in you all. And if we have God's Holy Spirit, we will basically disagree. We will not disagree. We will agree <laughs> uh, on the basic things. We, you know, we won't all ride the same model of car or wear the same suits. I know one minister got all buggy in Chicago years ago and tried to get everyone to drive Chryslers. And, and I said, no, you don't need to do that. And, of course, Mr. Armstrong backed me up. He said, people don't have to follow me by wearing the same kind of suits I wear, drive the same kind of cars. He never meant it that way, but in the spiritual approach to Bible, to the Bible. In verse 11, Christ, he himself gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying, the building up and strengthening of the body of Christ till we all come. God wants us to be together till we all come in the unity of the faith out of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. He wants us to fully reflect Christ more and more every year we live. That, in order that, we should no longer be children tossed to and fro. Some of our brethren worldwide were tossed to and fro. Mr. Armstrong died, they just took off. In England, the college closed, they just took off. They weren't deeply converted. They weren't willing to think, where is God working? Who is doing the work today? Where is the full truth being preached? Where is the government of God? I'd better stay right in the center of that church where Christ is working. I dare not leave that church as long as those fruits are there. If they blow it, if Mr. Ames or Dr. Vanell or I take over and start preaching Sunday and and going to heaven or other weird things that are not biblical, then you leave. You should leave. That's what I did. I got worldwide changed everything and we left. But as long as the basic truth is being preached and the work is being done, don't leave. Develop loyalty. That's very important to God. So we want to understand that, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting like men are plotting to get their excuse to take over or overthrow the church. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things to Christ, unto him who is the head, Christ. So we're to grow up to Christ, brethren, in every way we can, and reflect Jesus Christ as the true church of God. What will be your breaking point? What excuse will you lose use if you leave the church. Please think about it ahead of time and decide to stay right in the center of Christ, right in the center of Christ's will, right in the center of God's church where Christ is the living head, the active head, and where Christ is working. And you will be blessed if you do that forever. You really will.